first letter of John, chapter 4, John says that on the day of judgment, we will have boldness because as God is, so are we in the world. He's just gone on to explain that God is love and anyone who lives in love lives in God and God lives in him. And now he's saying, okay, we will have boldness because as God is love, we have become love. That is the goal of the Christian life. That is the goal of discipleship. It's all about love. And so we need to really start to examine, do we love? You know, what actually is love? Pope John Paul II devoted much of his life to wrestling with this question. As he was an archbishop in Poland, he spent a lot of time working with young couples, young people who were preparing for marriage, trying to understand their journey, the the difficulties they experienced in learning how to love, particularly those who had come from broken families or where their own parents had been divorced. How do we start to understand Christ's vision for what loving is, even if what has been modelled to us has not been perfect? Pope John Paul II, he wrote a famous book called Love and Responsibility, where he gave a very simple definition for love. And I think it's probably the most useful definition to carry with you as you go through the world. He basically said, to love means to not use. If you're using somebody, you're not loving them. Now, he spoke of this particularly within the context of marriage, that there is something in the human heart which can very easily come to use the person that, you, that you're meant to love. And later on in the theology of the body, the Pope would go on to kind of shock people a little bit when he went on to say that even within marriage, there is a place where you can be adulterous. You know, if you are using your spouse, that is actually adultery, even though you're married to them. Because he was trying to get to the core of Jesus' vision that really marriage is not just about taking this person as a possession, but about laying your life down for them. And as soon as that selfishness in the human heart starts to creep in, we are no longer really being faithful to our vows. But in his book, Love and Responsibility, the Pope also took this into the ordinary part of our life, saying that, Anytime you are using somebody in the workplace, that is a time where we are breaking chastity. And it was a particularly fascinating image because we naturally think of chastity only in terms of sexual morality. But here was the Pope saying, no, no, this is bigger. This is about how we love with God's love. And if I fail to love, if I'm, if I'm being selfish, if I'm using people, then that becomes a sin against chastity in every field. So if, if you are using a worker in the workplace and not really caring about their humanity, not caring about them as a person, but simply as someone to give you what you need, you're damaging them. 
this, this, I think, is where this idea of chastity takes on a much bigger concept. We could even sort of start to look at some of the other sins, you know, things around gluttony or greed. In some sense, these are kind of connected to sins against love, you know, sins against chastity. I'm, I'm using God's creation. I'm not actually caring. You know, so if I am... If I'm gluttonous, if I'm overeating or consuming without any relationship to the creator, without any gratitude, then that is sinful. Not, not simply because I broke a rule, but because there is no love. You know, I'm allowing selfishness to reign in my heart rather than allowing my heart to be turned towards love and worship. So in the same way, you know, if I'm treating other people badly, if I'm using them, then I have stepped away from being like God. My heart has been corrupted by selfishness. So when John says in his letter that we will have boldness on the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in the world, this is a big challenge. Christ has called us to allow our hearts to be transformed into his likeness in everything, every aspect of our life, every part of who we are, to learn and be trained in how to truly see the other person. When original sin came in, right back at the beginning of the Garden of Eden, you'll notice that the first thing that happened was we turned inwards. For the first time, and you probably heard me mention this in a previous episode, Eve looks at the fruit and she no longer sees the creator, but she now just sees her own emptiness. She looks at the fruit and she says, it is pleasant to the eyes and it's good for taste. It's desirable. She's now only seeing her own emptiness inside and how this thing can fill her. That has been the brokenness of the human heart, which we've been fighting against ever since. And so whether it is looking at another person and simply seeing them as something to fill your emptiness, whether that's in relationship or in success through work, or whether it's looking at God's creation, things, possessions, and simply seeing our own need to be filled, all of that is the distortion which Christ was trying to heal. When he calls us to follow him, he's calling us to learn a whole different way of seeing. And central to this is the call to worship. We need to start to worship God for his creation. And I think the more that we do this, we're going to find a path into life, a path into chastity. And I strongly encourage you to do this. You know, genuinely worship God for the food you eat. Don't just pray grace and then move on to filling your emptiness. But genuinely reflect upon the creator, the, the, the glory of God who made the food in front of you, the effort, the, the symbolism that is being expressed by God to say that this is how much you are loved. Delight in that and rejoice over it and speak back your praise to God. And particularly in terms of people. Whenever you encounter people in the workplace, praise God for them. 
And as you do that, you're going to find that they are no longer machines within the great economic system, but they are now human beings, creatures. And you're thanking their creator for them coming into being. As you look upon the people you love, particularly if you're married, as you look upon your spouse, every day this should be a place of worship. As you worship the creator and thank the creator for this beautiful gift of this person, that is going to turn you inside out, you know, from being focused inwards on your own emptiness to now being focused outwards where you can really appreciate the gift. Worship and praise is the healing for this. Sadly, when we, when we start to look at, at love, and particularly intimate love, you know, the church has often had this very fearful response, trying to say that it's, it's an area of temptation, we need to run away, we need to hide. But really what God is trying to do is redeem it, trying to say that this is beautiful, this is good, this is meant to be an encounter with your heavenly inheritance Pope Benedict wrote a beautiful encyclical called Deus Caritas Est, or God is Love. And it surprised a lot of people because he spent a lot of time talking about eros. You know, as you'd be aware, the, the Greeks had many different words for love. You know, agape being like sacrificial love. Eros being like erotic love. And most people never really assigned that form of love to God. You know, we, we would normally talk about sacrificial love being the reflection of Jesus. But Pope Benedict sort of shocked people saying, God is really trying to redeem Eros because Eros is this self-giving love. It's where you love the other person so much, you want to make yourself a gift to them. And he talks throughout through the letter. I, I really encourage you to look it up and, and read it in depth. But he basically is trying to say that God loves us with eros because God gives himself to us. He gives himself to us in the Eucharist upon the cross in, through the incarnation. This is God giving himself because he loves, him, he loves us so much. And... Through that reflection, the Pope was calling us to reimagine what this is actually meant to look like. If I can just read to you one little quote, he's, he's referring to the ways that in the old pagan temples, they sort of divinized Eros, turned it into a god. And he, he's trying to say, look, Christianity didn't actually reject Eros. And, and here, I, here I quote, he says, rather it declared war on a warped and destructive form of it. Because this counterfeit divinization of Eros actually strips it of its dignity and dehumanizes it. He goes on to say, in, indeed the prostitutes in the temples, the pagan temples, who had to bestow this divine intoxication were not treated as human beings and persons, but simply used as a means of, of arousing divine madness. Far from being goddesses, they were human persons being exploited. An intoxicated and undisciplined eros, then, is not an ascent in ecstasy towards the divine, but a fall, a degradation of man. 
Evidently, Eros needs to be disciplined and purified if it is to provide not just fleeting pleasure, but a certain foretaste of the pinnacle of our existence and of that beatitude for which our whole being yearns. I think in that paragraph, the Pope just sums up the whole challenge we face in a world, a world which is obsessed with using other people. We need to be trained. We, we need healthy boundaries around our relationships so that our hearts can be trained towards true love. And particularly in a world which is still trying to divinize Eros. But as a result, we, we continue to exploit human beings in, in a world that has become so pornographic. How do we come back to discover the true beauty of what God is doing in our midst? How God is, is placing within us something of the fire of heaven, but then training us to learn how to hold on to that fire? how to bring that fire of love into a world which has become so cold because all we know is how to use, use each other and manipulate each other. This is an enormous part of the journey of discipleship. But I think to go back to that image of the parable of the talents that I started with, you find yourself with three options. You can run and hide and bury the gift because you're afraid that it's going to do damage. You can run away and spend the gift on yourself and then do damage. Or you can pray for the courage to use it, to, to be trained by God himself to know how to hold on to that fire of, of heaven and, and learn how to use it to bring life to the world. Mm -hmm.